You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Texas is getting into my blood. I'm leading the liturgy saying y'all a lot, I notice. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, we are, this is such a special morning. We, we love our kids here at Resurrection. We, we feel that God, we know, it's in the Bible, so we know that God has given us this uh, wealth of children to be good stewards of. So we get to celebrate as they, as they go into their, their, their academic year as students, we get to bless and pray for them and celebrate them this morning. Today is at the same time we're beginning a new series called First Fruits, Rediscovering the Lavish Generosity of God. That's what's going on this morning. And as a young church, we all know this really personally, that uh, as we prepare to launch, God has given us such an amazing, beautiful gift in our community, in our church. Wouldn't you say? I know, I know he has. What a good thing. He's given us this wealth, this incredible gift in Resurrection South Austin. And if you have an imagination for what the church really is, not just kind of a, a group of volunteer Christians, but the, kind of the scope of what God imagines the church is, reconciling all of creation to himself through the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, you get to begin to see the wealth that God has entrusted us with in resurrection. Would you say? You realize that these gifts, this, even this church, our friendship, our community, everything that we have, all of these gifts have been entrusted to us. We are mere stewards of something that doesn't belong to us, but we've been entrusted with. We have been entrusted as stewards to deal with this wealth according to the desire and plan of God. That's what it means to be a steward. And that's what we're going to look at in this next, uh, these next few weeks. Talking, um, all of, taking all this in, it's really good for us to pause for a moment as we kind of have all that in view, and ask, how do we, you and I, how do we practice being good stewards of this gift that God's given us? What does, that, what does that look like? If you could picture the activities of a good steward, the life of a good steward, what would that, what would that look like? In the next few weeks, we're going to look at kind of different angles, different, different snapshots of a person's life in this community who's a steward of the gifts of God. That's what we're going to do. So to begin this morning, Sunday morning, we're going to explore the phrase, first fruits. Where does that come from? What does that mean? As we launch into this series, we're going to just take a look at where that comes from. And we're going to see that God invites us to prioritize Him in what we value. And ultimately, we recognize, we recognize that our wealth is a gift from Him. It doesn't belong to us. Our wealth doesn't even belong to us, but it's a gift from Him, and we are stewards of it. In other words, our money... The thing we think in our bank accounts that is ours is actually not ours. But we are mere stewards. We are recipients of the gift that God has given us. This is a crazy idea. Some of you guys are like, really? Is this what it means to be a Christian? Oh, man, it gets even better. But all the money that we have, all of the children that we have, the future that we have, the very breath we breathe is a gift from God that we are stewards of. It's not even really ours. We're mere stewards. So this morning, let's ask, what does it look like to be a steward of particularly the wealth of God this morning? If this is your first time here, and we're talking about wealth, this is awesome. I love that you're here. 
Um, and this is actually for you. Uh, as a Christian, those who are following Jesus, we want to surrender all of our lives. There's not a corner of our life that's kind of off limits, but all of this is wide open for the taking because we realize we are God's. We are living sacrifices offered up to him. So let's jump into scripture. Luke 12 from our reading, our gospel reading this morning. It gets right to the point. Jesus says in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Scripture tells us that Jesus, in all of his parables, he's, he's walking around doing miracles and teaching. Do you know that a quarter, 25% of Jesus' teachings, his parables, have to do with wealth? 25%. Must be a big deal for Jesus. You know why I think it's a big deal for him? Here's my idea. Likely because he knew of the power of wealth to possess the heart. He knew that wealth wasn't just a thing for us. It could never be just a, a thing for us humans. But it has this this power, a quiet power, of possessing our heart. For many of us, even now, when I say like money or bank accounts in a church, people are like, oh, their, their blood pressure starts to rise, their heart rate starts to sputter a little bit, things get a little, a little weird for us. Why is that? Well, first, you need to know, at Resurrection, we are totally comfortable about talking, uh, with talking about money. Uh, and the reason is uh, because we're not threatened we know that we're safe in the kingdom of God. We know we're not going to be judged by others. We look at money not as like some thing, some taboo thing we can't talk about, but we actually look at money and our wealth and all that we are as matters of discipleship, matters of how do we follow Jesus with all that we possess. So relax, everybody. Take a breath. It's okay. At Resurrection, we're totally comfortable with this. We've done this numerous times. But also, we look at the way we spend our money as a matter of kind of where our heart is. If you want to know where your heart is, look at the way you spend your money. So for us, it's a, it's a really helpful tool to say, God, do you have my heart? Let me look at my checkbook. Lord, do, you, do I really understand that my wealth is a gift from you and I am a mere steward? We can say yes all day long, but we know that we need to look to our life to see what we actually believe, our activities to see what we actually believe. Luther said this one time. I love this. There are three conversions of a person. The head, the heart, and the purse, the wallet. There are three conversions. Oftentimes, we kind of get stuck after the head or the heart, huh? We don't want to go to the wallet. We don't want to talk about that. And I think many of us get so anxious uh, when we talk about money because ultimately of a fear kind of underneath everything. I think that's what it is. Fear that there won't be enough for us. We are people who live in a world of scarcity. Fear of scarcity, in fact. Greed and fear, they hide kind of underneath the surface of our lives, pulling the strings, quietly governing our self-identity, our self-worth, our status. It guides us like kind of like a master, dictating even what we desire, day in and day out, the things we desire, kind of dictates. It even, for some of us, keeps us up at night. We lose sleep over our financial state sometimes. Greed, it feasts, it has a meal on these fears that keep us up at night, these fears of scarcity. And it makes a home quietly in our hearts. That's what fear and greed do. But Jesus says this, and this is exactly the context in which Jesus says it. So you see that picture of greed and fear? Jesus says this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. It is your father's, your father's good pleasure to give you the wholeness of the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid, little flock. There is enough for you. 
I know the world tells you there's not enough. You're going to be left out. You're going to miss out. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Those are all lies. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In Christ, we begin to put, we're being put back in touch really with the truth, with reality, and invited to abandon those fears. The God of scarcity, if you worship a God of scarcity, that God just doesn't exist. You don't believe in a true God. The God that exists is a God of abundance, a God who has lavish generosity, a God who is your heavenly Father, who it is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the God that we worship this morning. Don't be afraid. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Besides, have you, have you not heard? Do you guys know this? That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it? That was our Psalm 24 this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's all His. There's not an inch of creation that does not belong to God. There's nothing hidden, nothing beyond His reach. It all belongs to Him. And that's not even the best part. I haven't even got to the real good news yet. You guys ready for the good news? You want to hear some of this? Man, it gets better. Our generous God has given us His first, His best, His most costly possession himself Romans 8:32 says if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son is there nothing else is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us he's given us everything our god the kingdom itself his son his own son the lord has given to us our lord jesus christ god has given him to us all when we were busy investing in fear, investing in greed, investing in this myth that there's just not going to be enough for us. While we were busy investing in death itself, God has given us life. That's the God that exists. That's the God that we worship this morning. In Jesus Christ, we, you and I, have been made stewards, caretakers, possessors of the most valuable gift of God, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. His first fruits. His very best, His very first given to us in His Son. How then do people like you and I, finite human beings, who are gripped with fear and greed all the time, receiving the lavish generosity of God, how do we respond to that? Have you ever thought of that? Well, at the very minimum, we give to God the first fruits of our labor. We actually do. We tithe. Have you ever heard of that? Tithing. Some of you, this may be a real familiar or maybe a real new thing. We tithe as Christians, not because we have to somehow earn our salvation by paying for it. No, not at all. But when you have in perspective the lavish generosity of God, I was speaking with someone this week. I said, how do you, someone I t totally admire when it comes to stewardship and tithing. I said, how do you, what, what goes through your mind? How do you give the way you give? The person said to me, well, how else do you respond to the grace of God? When you really have your, your, the picture of your own depravity in mind and the, the lavish generosity of God, how else would you respond? At least by giving God bountifully from your own money. God, God has modeled for, this, uh, for us in first fruits by giving up his own son to us. Our response to God should reflect, or reflect our love and devotion to him. In Exodus, I want to take you through some of the scriptures we heard this morning. In Exodus, believers were required to give a tenth of their wealth the tenth of their income to support the ministry and the needs of the poor. And so God invites them, in so doing, to practice the truth that they are mere stewards of his wealth. And he commands them in verse 16, you should observe the festival of the harvest, 
of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. Why? Why would he ask them? That we would recalibrate our values. We would recalibrate what's important, what we desire, what's truly a gift from God. That we would remember where our wealth actually comes from. You think you earn your paycheck without the help of God? Do you think you wake up in the morning and breathe without the lavish generosity of God? We practice tithing that we would remember where all of these gifts come from. The psalm asks us, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Here's who. Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false. Not even the God of money. Not even the God of greed and fear. Those who have a clean hands and a pure heart, who don't lift up their souls to what is false. Tithing is a matter of repentance and trust in God. Turning from those things that seem to kind of grab a hold of us and won't let go. Tithing is a way of actually subverting all of those powers and saying, actually, money, you're not the boss in my life. You're not the God. Even though the rest of the world seems to think you are, let me demonstrate to you that you're not. God challenges us even further in Malachi. He says, look, put me to the test. I dare you. Put me to the test. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you an overflowing blessing, God says in Malachi. And finally, in the New Testament, uh, in our passage in 2 Corinthians, he teaches us that we are to give as we are able, even beyond our ability. In verse 3, therefore, the tithe, which literally means like a tenth of, the tithe is seen as a kind of minimum guideline for giving for Christians. It's not some like unachievable thing that only super Christians do. Tithing is actually kind of like the baseline for Christian discipleship. As a disciple, Jesus teaches us that we should not even neglect the tithe. We should be about acts of justice and mercy without neglecting the tithe. Jesus says you need all of it. You need both of it. Why? Because God is worthy and money so often has control and grips our hearts. Even now, there's probably inner dialogue in some of us fighting, hearing these words. No way. Just more evidence that, that somehow greed is that we're human beings and we have greed in our hearts and it grips us and it doesn't want to talk about this kind of stuff. So as an act of repentance, as an act of making things right, we've got to put the thing we value the most sometimes on the altar and confess that no longer is this thing God in our lives. But even this is being turned over to the God that is as an offering. And in so doing, we confess our trust in the God that is, the God who gave us his first fruits, his own son. As a response to the generosity of God in giving us Jesus Christ, we turn and respond and say, God, take all of me, even my pocketbook, even my hopes for the future, even all of my worries, even all of my fear. God, heal us with your grace. Set us free from greed. When we come to the altar, you know, in the part in the liturgy where, where I lead us and I say, hey, we lift up our hearts right? What do you all say? Lift them up to the Lord. Wait, that's not how it goes. I say lift up your hearts. You all say we lift them up to the Lord. Sorry. Let's strive. Let's actually tell the truth when we say that. What would it take for us to be truth tellers when we say, yeah, Sean, we lift up our hearts to the Lord. You can't actually do that with integrity and keep God out of your financial life. Can I say that again? You cannot come to the altar of the Lord 
pretending to have clean hands on the outside when on the inside you're gripped with, with greed and fear, saying, we lift up all of our hearts to you, Lord, crossing our fingers behind our back. There's no integrity in that. In order for us to be truth tellers, when we come to the altar and say, Lord, we lift up our hearts to you, maybe we need to be in a place of repentance and say, God, there is so much in my heart that I, I am unable to lift up to you right now, that I need your help so desperately. I need your grace, God. Come and fill my heart. Come and heal me. Take my wallet. We lift up our wallets to you, Lord. We lift up our jobs to you. We lift up our children, our students, God. We lift up our future our savings accounts, our 401ks, our retirement plans. Lord, even all of that, we lift it up to you. We lift up all of ourselves, God. We need your grace. Help us. And as, our, as a young church, we are doing actually so well with this. You'd be so encouraged what God can do with people who put their trust in God and follow him with faith, with complete abandon. Already we're off to such a great start. In, in the way that we worship God with our money as a church. You are such a generous bunch. If you don't believe me, you can ask guests who come to our church who are greeted like nine times by people. We're so hospitable. We're so generous. You guys are so gracious to people. I see it. Michelle and I have experienced your generosity. And we have, as a family, coming into Austin and Texas and, and, and realizing this community that God is stitching together to give birth to his church, we are, we are struck by how generous and how hospitable we are. How hospitable you all are. How, how much more so than as we come to the altar should we be as hospitable, as generous, as giving to the Lord? Let all of our lives encompass that offering. Let all of our lives, that we are moved by the hospitality and the gracious gift of God, let all of our lives respond to his generosity, even with our wallets, even with our money, the things that we think there's just not going to be enough. Let's offer that to God. Now, Michelle and I, as we've um, kind of been traveling and journeying in the last few years of our, since seminary, before seminary, I don't know if you know this, I was a computer engineer at HP. We have, we have tithed for, we've, the practice of tithing has been in our family life for quite a while. And even when we were, when we had a, a great income at HP, tithing like 10% is a lot of a lot, you know, it's a percentage. And then when we were like on food stamps in seminary, 10% is still a lot. And we find ourselves like, oh man, this is like sacrifice. But every time, no matter where we were, we've always found ourselves that as we're able to commit in faith, even in the hard times, even in the good times, when we're able to commit in faith, we've always been returned with blessing. There's never been a moment in which God has left us hanging. Things have been tough. Things have required faith out of us. But we've always been reminded of where our provision comes from. There's never been a doubt. As we step out in faith and say, God, we don't know how this is going to work. And over and over and over again, you can go interview my wife. She'll, she'll, she'll tell you the truth. God has provided so much for us. Blessing upon blessing, overflowing. What Malachi says, it's actually true. We've seen it in our own lives. So I'm not inviting you all to do something that we're not doing as well. This is something that we're all doing together. But I know that we're all in different places in our walk with the Lord. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're just kind of exploring the idea of God, not even sure. Maybe you're an old, crusty Christian. You've been doing this for centuries, you know. Wherever you all are in your life of discipleship, um, there's always new things for you when it comes to following Jesus. There's always another invitation. There's always something further. And I want to just really briefly, just I want to I give you a few ideas, some tools. When it comes to stewardship, I want to give you three things that I think you guys would be really helpful. They've been helpful to me. One, give God first. Give God out of priority. As a way of saying, God, before any of my other bills, you actually matter the most. I'm going to prioritize giving to you because you're the first. And then maybe give God a percentage. The Bible invites us, give God 10%. Yeah, God's a mathematician. He knows that that's a lot. He knows how numbers work. 
Maybe that's too much for you right now. That's fine. Here's what I invite you to do. Pick a percentage. Pick anything. Pick half a percent. And commit to doing that for a given period of time. Say, Lord, I'm going to give you this percentage. And I'm going to work in faith to grow in that percentage. Try a percentage. And then lastly, give in a progressive way. When God continues, when you get to 10%, it's kind of not the end of the story. God continues to draw out of you and say, I want you to trust me even more. I want you to trust me in this way. Open your heart to God and say, God, are you inviting me to grow, continue to grow in my life of giving to you? And lastly, uh, in the lobby, you're going to find a letter that I've written to our church as we kick off into this launch season in this, this series of stewardship. I want to I invite you. There's a letter in the lobby right next to our world-class coffee that you're going to love, by the way. Grab one of those letters, um, and it'll kind of give you a picture of what we're up to and how we spend our money and how we are as a church being good stewards of this gift from God. So I want to invite you just to, to look over that and pray and consider the ways in which God is inviting you to, to be a good steward of resurrection with us. Church. Let's continue to grow in our trust of God. Let's continue to grow as stewards through the discipline even of tithing. Let's grow as a grateful response, not out of guilt, not out of burden, but as a grateful response, out of joy. Let's give to God what is his. Let's be known as that church that has that like fearless generosity. Let's be known as those people who are over the top hospitable to others. Let's be known as a church where, that has a subversive trust and a love of God. Those people, they're crazy in love with God. Let's be the church who is so committed to following Jesus, God's own son, who with the Holy Spirit and God the Father reign in heaven, one God, now and forever. Amen? Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.